Yeah, so like, and so then on the TV, it's called the worm, mm-hmm. and it goes up and down depending on how people are vibing, what the politician's talking about. And it is part of the vibing feeling that they're full of shit, or just that they. I think it's agree. literally just whether you like what they're saying or not. Not so much about whether they're lying or not. Mm. It's just um, high school all over again. Oh, the whole world is high, high school, school. Mm. all over again. <laughs> Um, no one tells you that there's no such thing as the real Except there's some kind of John Mayer song. Oh, I just found out there's, there's no, no such, such thing, thing as a real world. world. Just a <laughs> lie. Yeah, just oh, he, John Mayer knows. John Mayer told us all. And we weren't really. <laughs> no one listened. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one took action. <laughs> uh, yeah, good one. Uh, Hello everybody, welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we're in Newtown and we're speaking with Rosalind Helper. Hi Rosalind. Hello. Apart from the fact that you have just been appointed next wave AD, that's pretty radical. But there's been like years that I've wanted to <laughs> hear your thoughts about things. And already the worm, I feel like my life's enlightened because of it. Do you, can you... What? I'm just glad that that had, you know, a bigger impact than I, than it probably yeah, should have. Asymmetrical yeah. risk-reward. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. yeah. Whereas I think artists do the wrong way asymmetrical, As in where they risk much, much more than they possibly ever could gain in reward. Right. Okay, that's... Now I'm enlightened. Thank you. I, my, the motto is, or the moral is to try less hard. I think the moral Put is less out there. to, uh, <laughs> I think it's to somehow reframe whether you're measuring your level of passion and conviction and effort and hard work against how much you're risking or against some other metric. Like, do you have like, um, high performance packing tape that I saw last night, mm. like, I feel like my training as a dancer has been to try and avoid injury mm-hmm. and that's why I bothered to train because you can kind of get away with doing a flip and hoping for the best yeah but eventually you'll hurt yourself if you don't train for it mm-hmm. whereas high performance packing tape was the other way where it's right. like I'm going to constantly do these things that means that the, that the risk is really the high the risk is really high but if they injure themselves the, the reward, reward is, is like what's the reward will, I don't know it, you can't do the show again you yeah, can't tour yeah but do you think they will have been like worth it <laughs> that's what I'm <laughs> uh, um, but maybe we can focus on maybe I can give us an anchor to focus on or you could give us an anchor around like what it is that you're putting your time and love and thinking mind and self into what am i risking (laughs) (laughs) no more like what 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 are you spending your your credits on yeah if you get like 80 years worth of credits oh god don't say that i actually (laughs) had a freak out last week i was um sitting at my desk writing and i just had this moment was like oh my god I have maybe 
what, like 50 years left in me. <laughs> yeah. And, this and form. all of the, like, there's not enough time to do everything that I want to do. And also mm. I was thinking about how, like, I feel like my work is way better now than it was, say, 10 years ago, which is obviously what you would hope. Yes. But imagine if you could live to like 200, like what, how good would your art be as mm. a 200 year old? As even as opposed to a 100, or is there like a peak where like, <laughs> you know, you, you just peak at 80 and then death, it's all downhill from there. But I just don't think so. Like you just keep extending your thoughts. You would be so radical as a 200 year old. Because you've seen like, it all before. No, because you've had so long to progress your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like I had this epiphany on the train the other day that I reckon was 15 years in the making. It was a very small epiphany and I'm not even good. It's not even <laughs> worth telling you what it was, but it was like this thought that I've been kind of vaguely thinking about, I reckon, since I've been in high school and the penny just dropped like this moment on the train. You can't, you want everyone else to do the 15 years. You don't want to share it. Um, I can tell you about it. It's kind of what I've, uh, around what I've been thinking about more broadly, but, okay. um, but yeah, I was like, Oh my God, it took me 15 years to get to this really simple thought, <laughs> like for it to find its place in the rest of my brain. Mm. And that's just for one little thought, <laughs> you know, like if I've only got 50, 50 years left, that's only what, like five more thoughts five more that can fall into, <laughs> into place. That's so depressing. But it was more just around like th- rethinking the time scale of your artistic practice, you know, okay. like if you... Um, when you're living in human time, yes, which I guess is what we're doing, yeah. you're subconsciously like planning, you know, like the amount of output that you do or like the output that you have is subconsciously kind of like time scaled against, you know, how old you are, mm. even if you're not thinking about that. Mm. And so, you know, is there a way to like fast track your brain? to be 80 when you're 40 <laughs> so that you can be a better artist <laughs> yeah. or like a weirder artist, I guess, <laughs> by the time you're 60, you know, anyway, so I was thinking about that. I've been thinking a lot about time. Oh. Yeah. In particular, um, simultaneous time, mm. which is like, oh, it's very hard to talk about A and write about B because the way we talk and we, the way we write are linear. Yes. And so when you're trying to describe the sensation of something that's non-linear, yes. these are actually very inappropriate mediums for like engaging in those thoughts. Mm. Um, is there a medium available to us? Yeah, definitely. Is it dance? One of them is dance. <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> definitely one of them is dance. One of them is dreaming. One of them mm. is taking acid. <laughs> one of them... As a medium. Yeah, yeah, as an artistic medium. No, they don't have to be artistic mediums. They just have to be like states that you can put yourself in mm. to think about time as nonlinear mm. or time as like um, uh, all moments existing at once and like this ability to try to hack your brain into feeling or um, create, yeah, you good? Yeah, yeah, create really a state good. where. Um, yeah. Do I was you just to check something. <laughs> <laughs> what what state are we creating? Create a state. Okay, wait. Okay. Mm. So like yeah, so to create this kind of to hack into this idea of simultaneous time, there yes. are all these different states or like yes. these different modes that you can I guess tools that you can use to try and 
like experience a moment of it. It's not something that you can just like experience continuously because in this idea of the world or how the world operates, there's no, no such thing as continuously. You can just stop me if I'm absolutely making no sense. But um, yeah, so like dreaming, taking acid, dancing or playing music, maybe painting, but I'm not a painter, so I have never accessed it via painting. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, sex, I think, is a big one. Um, That's why it's in so many religious rituals. Um, sure, yeah. I reckon. Um, that. But do you think that I've these are I've never been in a religious act- sex Ritual. experience ritual <laughs> before but i will but take your time, word right? for it i'm just i'm just <laughs> talking about movies <laughs> vicarious experience um, but, it, but isn't my understanding is that those things are all just perceptual yeah but like and that literally every single thing in right. existence is perceptual mm. Mm. So, and i my my question would then be well like what's the difference you know, if there's an embodied in an embodied re- reality that you're living and experiencing, yes. isn't that just as valid, you know, mm. as someone else's non, you know, something some someone else's different experience? Yeah, I depends would say. how it affects the people who you're sharing time and space with. Mm. I reckon. I think that's what freaks people out if a grown person has say f- imaginary friends that that other people can't see and they're talking to them in public, Mm. um, then there is an effect. There's an effect on other people. There's an effect on social cohesion. There's an effect on the feeling of safety based on the amount of predictability that you think of strangers around you. Sure. But imagine if you, as that person who experienced those things, Mm -hmm. this is maybe off the track of what I was thinking about, but say that you were, you were that person and you were, you were able to convince another person to believe yeah. or to, to have the same experience or tap into that same experience that you're having. Yeah. Are you saying that now all of a sudden that is more valid for that person who's been experiencing it in the first place? Um, I would say that it is now that there is less friction for the new person with that original person because they're world views have more harmony mm, interesting mm. I, I don't think that discounts anything that I've said no I don't think so <laughs> and it's also not my my intention to discount what you say um, but I think about that with relationship to epiphany is that it must be um, there must be some chemical release that feels like an epiphany. Mm, like a physiological, st- yeah. you know, yeah. state. Yeah. And, Maybe. Or even like the thing that happens before you have a thought. Like shit fires and then you realize you're having a thought. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know that you've grabbed the cup because you feel the cup and we have a language around that kind of proprioception and sensation. Yeah. But we don't have such a strong language around... Um, I'm thinking. How do you know that you're thinking? Because I can feel mm. that I'm thinking, or that there are thoughts happening, or whatever it is. Yeah, and I think that about um, insight because I feel like half of one by radio is just trying to draw insights out of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and that's the feeling of satisfaction as well of having a good conversation. But there's there's a real physiological feeling. 
So can you bring about those epiphanies instead of every 15 years? Oh, we're talking about two different things now. Yeah. The epiphany to me is not so much related to these other thoughts I've been having. Okay. Um, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit about the future. You've got coming up a talk, right? About algorithmic bias I do. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the, how do you approach that? You've already written, a, you're going to write something and then you're going to present it or are you just... Uh, so this talk that I'm doing is uh, for the opening night of the Digital Writers Festival and it's a panel yeah. and the theme of the panel is, um, what is it? It's about, uh, it's my, the most boring question, which <laughs> is, can an AI write a better piece of writing or make better art than human? Okay. And to me, that's incredibly boring because... It's, in, it's incredibly boring in relation to other questions that we could be asking about AI. I guess yes. it's not inherently boring, but like, uh, they're just like, they're just different. It's like, can you make a better piece of art than me? Yes. Like, don't know, doesn't, don't care. Like you make a different piece of art to me. You know, that's the same mm-hmm. question about whether, a, whether an AI can be better than me or not. I think yeah. it's more interesting to look at, you know, like the politics of your work. Yes as opposed to my work and what they say about the world, you know? So when an AI is making quote unquote art, what's interesting to me about that is what it is saying and how it's saying and what the effect on our understanding of the world is because of what it has produced. And so, um, I, for example, can, and maybe a better question for me or a more interesting question would be, can an AI, well, what are the politics of an AI's work? Can it, can an AI make progressive work? You know, um, that kind of stuff. And okay. uh, some of the work I've done with, you know, these very basic automated technologies um, so far have been incredibly telling in that the work they produce kind of is like for a lowest common denominator experience of the world i.e like they make they they create the tropiest characters they create the most conservative um they create the most conservative kind of uh or like express the most conservative values you know in terms of um like economic aspiration things like that they're all geared towards this very um neoliberal individualistic rhetoric that Uh frames like everything that we do online really yeah um and so to me it's more about unpacking this idea that an algorithm is not inherently apolitical it is political who has met who have those like what context has that Mm. algorithm been created within who has made that what are their inherent biases you know like there's still people behind these systems and there's this kind of disconnect in how we think about you know the ai as its own entity that's like kind of generated its own knowledge but that knowledge is incredibly embedded within an existing paradigm which is our dominant paradigm which is capitalism and so um i think it's not it shouldn't be so much about whether it can make a better script than i can make it's more about like what the differences are um consciously politically ethically you know what the stories are 
and, and how they've been created and what effect they have on how we understand the world. Is, uh, sorry. No, nothing. I'm just going to say, God, I hope I say that in the talk. <laughs> <laughs> just refer them to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but is it the thing that the kind of person who was as shaped and molded by those ideals as the AI is, mm-hmm. that kind of person isn't sitting down to write a script in the first place? And so it would perhaps it would be wholly different because those sort of people are um, running profit-focused firms rather than... Yeah, I mean, that's perhaps true. Um, And is when you say, like, that it it holds under conservative um, relationships to um, finances and things like that, do you mean, like conservative like a group of people conservative or conservative as in it just maintains the status quo it knows it it doesn't maintain it perpetuates all right you know like even all of these um things that google are doing now with your emails being you know they uh, suggest words Mm. for your email that are that are based on things maybe that you've written in the past but it's this um kind of like refining of it like sends you further down a path of yourself that maybe you weren't going to be if it hadn't done that yeah and so if you yeah i don't know maybe like hypothetically if you um had mild tendencies towards you know one particular ideology or thing that you liked or any you know something like that these technologies have the capacity to kind of um tunnel vision you to almost like the apex of what that is they're radicalizing uh, yeah they're radicalizing under this kind of guise that they're helping make you the best you (laughs) but they're actually just turning up the volume on yeah, of the these. aspect of you that it's sensitive to. Exactly. Not even all the versions. Of exactly. You. And I know people are very conscious, lots of people, most people hopefully, <laughs> are very conscious of, of that. But you're still so um, in, embedded in that experience that actually after a point it's very hard to disassociate, disassociate yourself from the impacts that these technologies are having on you. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you think that's different than just our, how we interact with people? Oh, what do you mean? Well, I did um, a couple of year development of the Blugs Project with my mate Joshua Thompson and I really found Angela, my partner, pointed out my mannerisms that I picked up from him. Mm-hmm. And then I, like I'd always wanted a four-wheel drive, but it was a dormant desire <laughs> of mine until I did this project with a mate and we then I saw the possibility for that part of myself to be activated. Now I own a four-wheel drive. Things like that where actually the there's nothing more sinister at play than the fulfillment of our need to become what we see. And it's just what you're saying is that we keep seeing ourselves mm. rather than others yep. and rather than like a gamut of others. Yep. Mm. So that's algorithmic bias. Yep. 
Right on. So when you have this situation where there's a lame provocation and you've got a better place to take it, <laughs> do you just then write the thing that you do you just then talk about? The thing the, I want to talk yeah. about? As in for this talk, yeah. potentially. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just trash, trash all of the hard work of the curators. No. I mean, well, it's all related. It's just like taking it. It started. That's the starting point. Right. And just and use that as a starting to, point. Right. And you don't have to stay there. Yeah. And In fact, you don't you'd hope that you wouldn't stay there. True. And I think, hope you know, hopefully the other panelists will come with their own, like, uh, direction mm. from that starting point and then we find ways to engage but um i think that's the point of a provocation true to to provoke you and to be like this is bullshit yeah 100 <laughs> percent. they haven't even thought about this <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're there for right <laughs> to, to be the thinkers yeah what about when you're curating when you're providing the provocation do you try and find one like do you think that your provocations are maybe doing this to people or do you try and absolutely no the point I think what when I'm yeah when I'm uh, whatever you want to call it organizing curating um, for me the the whatever I put out there as a suggestion is sorry <laughs> that's okay yeah for me whatever I put out there the suggestion the, I hope that the suggestion will um, people some people will identify it and some people will reject it mm. and want to talk about something else mm. but at least that was the point at which they could ricochet off and come back mm. with that other thing that matters to them you know what I mean it almost doesn't matter like it almost becomes redundant it's just like a little marker in time that you can revolve around or bounce mm. off or um, start a conversation it's a starting point yeah yeah do you feel like there's something like that that is a, a commonality between all the things that you're doing, like playing in a band and running a festival. Is there a commonality? And, yeah. Do you feel like there's a self-given provocation or like a world given, the world has given you a provocation? Uh, I'm still working that out. Mm. I think I'm doing everything that I'm doing very much uh, because I feel like it, <laughs> not because I have a lot, there's a logic to it. Yeah. And I think recently I have been thinking more about what binds. Um, and I guess that's something that I was trying to talk about before about this idea of simultaneous time. And mm. it's actually, um, if, uh, it's actually, fitting into this broader worldview or experience of what the world is that's based on this idea of embodied feeling as the logic that drives you and that things do happen in your body all at once even if in linear time which is lived experience on a shared scale which is what you were talking about before mm. um even if that is if that shared experience is linear i think the embodied experience can be very different and um and i you know so for example yesterday my day consisted of um signing business contracts (laughs) um spending five hours trying to invoke the spirit of a renaissance nun and playing a gig to drunken bogans in newcastle you know like those were the three main things that i did yesterday and then peripherally, 
you know, there were, I was very emotional. There were lots of emotional things happening in my life that completely contextualized all of those, you know, physical activities in a way that I don't have language to describe, but just to say that there's this sensation that all of those things are happening at different time, uh, happening at the same time in my body. And, um, and even though they, they're all kind of like the impacts of things that have happened in different places along a linear time scale, God, I was sounding so weird, but anyway, yeah, even though those things that impacts or like the echoes or the kind of like anticipations of other things that are happening from last week to next week or from last year to next year or from the beginning of my life to the end of my life or whatever it is, um, or even outside of my life, there are certain um, feelings that just kind of like culminate simultaneously mm-hmm. inside me to um, create, yeah, this feeling that the moment that I'm in right now is not just the moment that I'm in right now. <laughs> oh, and I think doing all of these different things in my art practice and in my um you know, organizing curatorial practice. Um, it's hard to box that all, like to put that all into a neat box. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever really tried to say that before. Well, there's something, there's something that I'm curious to hear you think out loud about in relationship to the perpetuation of the self again that you that there is this self that you are mm-hmm. and that it exists across your entire life simultaneously right now um, even though your cells will regenerate and even though your ideas will change and your mind will develop and your friends will change and how you live and like you'll get a new laptop and a new phone and <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's there's an idea of the self that maybe isn't physical and isn't tangible because everything will be renewed and somehow the the concept that you are an ongoing being perpetuates and I wonder how that sits within the idea of like simultaneity simultaneous Thinking about <laughs> simultaneity, yeah. simultaneous time. Yeah. Um, as in, like, am I? Are we the same person through and through? Or I, yeah, I'm interested to hear you marry these ideas about how yourself possibly can survive, mm. and the fact how yourself possibly can survive the fact that everything is simultaneous. Yeah. Well, as I said before, like, it's not something that you experience all the time for me it's more of a state that you can tap into by doing these different things like when you're um dancing or having sex or dreaming or i don't know i kind of have a list that i wrote down somewhere Mm. and it's more like because those moments that you tap into it are so intense Mm. like they really are like when i (laughs) i feel so like so crazy but um like saying this out loud but yeah like when i do have a real and it's a brief it's like a flash moment Mm often like you can think about it but that's not actually the moment that you're experiencing it you know like i'm not 
we're not experiencing it right now but but when it does flash past it's like um it is it's so intense i i actually just leave the world for a moment (laughs) oh god maybe we shouldn't do you think that this is something no this is very real super real do you think that this is something that is literally just a balance of some chemistry in your body Mm. or it's that you're accessing a higher plane oh i don't think i'm accessing i think it's totally conceptual right yeah i mean i'm it's it's embodied and it's real in the feeling of it but that feeling is being sparked by my brain being like this well actually i'm not sure if it's like this feeling that my brain is um turning into yeah you know like a conceptual framework or if it's like something i think it must be that because otherwise why would i have thought of it you know like there would have been no reason for me to think of this if i hadn't felt it whereas like my thought is trying to my thoughts are trying to explain something that i have felt yes and so i think it must be that way around but i could have thought i could have thought completely differently about it you know i could have thought oh i'm having a memory yes exactly (laughs) i'm having a really intense memory Whereas I think, but another part of it for me, it is conceptual and it is political because as a way of thinking about the world, even if it's not real, it's just interesting to try and get out of a very specific framework that we're constantly um, hammered over the head with, you know? And so I am talking about it conceptually and politically as well as this kind of like and talking about it emotionally through like the, the lived experience of embodiment. But I think as much as anything, you know, what we experience every day is this deferral, like the constant deferral of pleasure, mm. of um, uh, gratification. Mm. And so it's kind of an answer to this feeling, this question um, of like, how can you arrange yourself for eternal gratification, <laughs> you know, and so. Well, I think you can just enjoy. If you enjoy deferral, then you have arranged yourself for eternal gratification. Sure, but I I think that this idea of deferral comes. It's. It's um. It's a very capitalist. Yes. Uh, experience. Because you're capitalizing on each moment and each asset and well, each resource because what has happened is and this happened this is and i think the internet has exacerbated this to like to the next level but what you have is an object that has a definition and since kind of like you know gold and paper were conceptualized as having equal value you know like the 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 value of um, an object has become displaced from what its actual worth is. Do you know what I mean? Like that was kind of like the starting point. Yeah. Well, really, we should be trading water because that has <laughs> actual value to Well, exactly. But it's all like the, the meaning that we attach to things yeah, or the value, they yeah. don't actually match up with the real things no. that we're talking about. But even like, you know, if you're thinking about the internet, every, every single thing on the internet is just... Um, the abstraction via language of something from the real world. You know, like every single thing online mm. has already been deferred or was already been, you know, extracted or distanced from its original object. And so... Do you think that began with writing? Writing is inherently abstract for sure. Yes. 
absolutely but it's more this is more about um so i just see the internet as a big book and that all the things that you're talking about already happened when we started writing things down mm. or even when we started talking about things like, um oh fuck i have an answer for this that i wrote down go and get day. it go and get it i can't wait yeah to okay, okay. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I wrote, <laughs> um, the reason deferral happens is not so much because language is inherently abstract as because we're experiencing this process through a dominant paradigm that, that prescribes lived experience as a linear time scale. So like, yes, language is abstract, but it's more the problem that um, we're experiencing language in a linear way. Mm. Then that it then that the abstraction itself is damaging. Yes. Yeah, that's satisfying. Um, yeah. So language gives us the tools to hang those things on, right? Like if we didn't have numbers beyond seven, we wouldn't conceive of things beyond seven. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, so. There's nothing inherently wrong with deferral or abstraction, I guess, in a sense, but more like if you or the way that you kind of overcome that and like i said before the internet has more just exacerbated this thing that already yeah. existed rather than like being the catalyst for it yeah. um yeah like a, one way to hack that is to think about simultaneous time and to like try and experience the the realignment of the object with what its value is or like the experience with itself and you're focusing on simultaneous time of a single person like their future and their past is simultaneous or this thing that sometimes happens to me especially if i'm operating in a different time zone is that i am reminded that there are people right now going to sleep when i'm waking mm. up and then I'm reminded there are people right now dying mm -hmm. and there are people like the queen no, I think possibly that's all is part of shit. it. That's totally part of it. I don't know. Like I, I've never had the experience of tapping into anyone else's time scale. No. <laughs> you know, I've only ever been able to whatever. I sound like the biggest, um, if you, but, um, if you do dance in pro with people. Mm, yeah. But there's this, um, you know, to quote, Chris Krauss. Um, I've finished reading her book Aliens and Anorexia recently. Yeah. And she um, talks a lot about this philosopher. Um, oh, what's her name? Um, 
Uh, let me check. It's important to remember people's names. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. <clears throat> oh yeah, Simone Weil. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about Simone Weil as a philosopher of sadness and she talks about... Um, I guess empathy is like another way of thinking about that, mm. you know, um, and how to how to validate experiences of people. I think we're like living in a moment where empathy is really scrutinized. Um, like uh, because privilege is so scrutinized, and so when people feel sad for other people there's a lot of criticism around um, the validity of that feeling if you're in a place of privilege. But I think that really discounts like an inherent human capacity that we have for, yeah, like tapping into a bigger global feeling of loss or sadness or, mm. um, you know, um, whatever, whatever other emotion any ideas on what we can do about that? <laughs> Make more art. <laughs> <laughs> Just encourage people to practice their empathy. I mean, art is a is a, an act of empathy. Yeah. Uh, in all aspects. Yeah. Yeah, the, the making it, the seeing it, the supporting it. Yeah, everything about yeah. it. And, I mean, it's telling that, especially in where we're living, it's very underappreciated, very undervalued on a, on a broader cultural level. I think it's still what people will go and see or do, even if it's not high art, if it's, um, you know, a Bieber concert, it's sure. still a medium. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm all for that. You're all for Bieber concerts. Sure. Why not? <laughs> well, mostly. <laughs> I can't give a blanket. <laughs> uh, but I, I know what you mean, that it seems that, it's that people but, think that it just emerges out of no one and out of nowhere and it just exists. Yeah. But there's also like an inherent, maybe not of popular art, but in terms of art that, um, is aligned with a different, you know, historical canon. Um, there is an inherent questioning of why the fuck it exists mm. in, in, a, in the particular so- social circumstances that we're living in. I don't know if it, I don't think it's, um, at all, you know, like a worldwide thing. Well, I, yeah, I, in relationship to worldwide, I saw a show last night called Infinity Minus One. Oh yeah. I want to see that. And I thought that it was only programmed because of its exoticness from the west or mm, like mm-hmm, where we mm-hmm, are now mm-hmm. in sydney and that it would that if it was um like if it was a piece made in australia or if it was a piece made in france whatever it may not have been programmed but also i don't know a lot about art things so i could be wrong and speaking out of turn um but one thing i did think is that i don't know if if the black box and the white cube need to be global Mm. Um, but that seems to be what is offered by curators that are trying to 
present um, diverse programs is they're offering a white a white cube or a black box to people who are not from it mm. and mm-hmm. don't need it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think that's you're totally spot on. But then I want like, but I but I thought the same thing like, but about breakdown shows. But do you think the original context for that work mm. was not for a black box theater? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, cool. Honestly, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a big. I mean, I had this. I've had this experience a lot. Not even with kind of like the exoticism or exoticization, like the whatever the of um, okay. non-Western artists, but even just within my own artistic community. Yeah. Um, yeah often you know like larger institutional curators trying to program club artists into these like sterile spaces Mm. and that's another form for me of exoticizing Mm. and it is so unfair to the artists who feel like they need that institutional validation because that's you know like what counts but at the same time, like that experience can be very alienating and traumatic because the conditions are so uncatering to them. Yes. And um, and also to the audiences like who end up going to see them, yeah. see us, whatever. Um, I've seen it happen a lot where it's like a good idea on paper, <laughs> but then there there's very little done to actually make those spaces um, accommodating. Or f- and there's it's very maybe impossible to make that feel authentic as well Mm. um except that it looks good in your end of year artists you know like reporting summary god it's really cynical but i just feel yeah i I feel like i've seen it so much that it's actually a a point to make my thoughts about that in sydney is that the people who are wildly inspiring in the performance that they're making and they're doing they have found um that uh the club environment say gives them a platform Mm. to do that Mm. and it's not like there's support in other places yeah to be (laughs) uh, wildly inspiring and radical yeah um so it's like the stepping stone that replaces the neighborhood experimental theater. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I also don't want to say that um, artists, like club artists, me and my friends, whoever, uh, like that that's the only place we could exist. That is absolutely as well not what I'm saying. It's more just that you can't just, like there needs to be a certain level of rigorous support to help um, make that experience fruitful. Mm. in the transition from one space to another and i feel like that hardly ever happens it's just like a you know like a drop and drag (laughs) style (laughs) of curation curation yeah um and that's more the problematic thing it's not the fact that these artists have been invited into these other spaces it's nothing to do with that like that Mm. is i think in principle totally fine it's more just the approach is um is lacking understanding. They're possibly the cheapest artists to get in as well. Yeah. Because they're from yeah, an true. environment that's not used to getting paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and they they often perform like solos or in very small groups with very minimal amount of gear. Yeah. And backstage support, like yeah. they fire off the 
yeah. cues from them, the stage themselves and things like that. Yeah. Um, I did think the night that Benji ran at MCA oh, I didn't translated see that. well. Yeah, cool. But I don't think it was an easy task for it to yeah. have done that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just a credit to Benji that the, the rooftop ended up being a club. Yeah, and cool. Being a yeah, party. amazing. Yeah, um, but I think as well, Benji's had a fair amount of experience now on both sides, on both sides of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great. No, I wish I'd seen that. I didn't. I wasn't here. Um, so that's a lot of what. Usually, you know, I was like, let's talk about what and then how. Okay. And then why? <laughs> We've only talked about the what. Oh god. Okay. Well, it feels like there was it. a lot of what. Like <laughs> when, because we're talking about the things you're thinking about and the circles that you're putting efforts into, and and then I want to know, like, how do you uh, in the circle we were at the other day? Mm-hmm. At, um, yeah. What was that day? Like a delegate day. Yeah. At Lifeworks. And people were talking about, I don't know. What do you do with all of these things that you're thinking about? Like, how do you be in these spaces and in these groups? And how do you make things happen? Look, I'm trying to find a more specific question in amongst all of this. I'm more like, how do you... now that you've been thinking these things about time or whatever, mm-hmm. then what, how do you do something? Um, yeah. <laughs> or do you not feel like you need to do something? No, I think like recently I've been thinking on a, on a higher level than is sustainable all the time. Right. I'm in a certain phase. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> what, what brings that on? Um, lots of personal stuff. Okay. Yeah, which is good, um, bad and good okay. at the same time. But I think that big life changes make you um, give you space almost in a funny way to like see everything, like to zoom out and see everything mm. in a new or in a, not in a new way, but just to try and make sense in a new way. Um, and so that's what I've been doing and I think it's actually been really inspiring or like fruitful for thinking about art making. Um, and I'm kind of actually at the point where I feel like my brain is like maybe years in the future Uh and I have to now do a lot of fucking hard work to catch up with myself in terms of the actual, the the actual artistic output. Like that's, and this is kind of where it comes into talking about what I was saying before about freaking out about not having enough time because I can already see my brain so far ahead (laughs) that, you know, uh, yeah, it's like the feeling that you, that you went, that you're 30 and you don't have enough time is stupid, (laughs) you know, like that is so dumb, but also common. No, I guess so. Like that. Yeah. I think that's probably very common. Um, so all of that to say, yeah, I, I don't think 
but but I, I think this is a particular phase where my brain has moved ahead mm. and now I'm doing a bit of a catch up and okay. that's fine. But yeah. yeah. How? How? Um, making lots of well I've been doing I've just been writing like because I've I haven't really had the space or the time because I'm working full time and doing lots of things that anyway, um I haven't had time to actually make work so i've been writing as my practice recently because i can just sit at my desk and do that until three o'clock in the morning and Mm. um and that is a creative outlet and i think what will happen is that everything that i've been writing will now feed into my creative my approach to creating Mm. so like writing music um writing scripts for performance um they're actually the main two things that I do. <laughs> um, those are all going to be now informed by the kind of like emotional, political, conceptual frameworks that I've built built for myself recently that have kind of, yeah, they just feed back into each other. Do you write, so the writing that you've been doing, is that like with a pen or is that on a laptop? Uh, I write in two ways. Both of those ways, I keep a diary. Mm-hmm. So I write in a notebook. Like a daily diary. <clears throat> Pretty much, Like yeah. this might be in it at tonight. Maybe. I mean, I'm, to be honest, I mean, probably it will be a dot. <laughs> it'll probably be a dot point. <laughs> uh-huh. Cool. cool. Um, but I kind of oscillate between like using my notebook. I've, got, I've had the same notebook, like the same style of notebook since I was 20. And um, I've just got a big stack of them. But actually they've stopped making this they've stopped making my make of notebook that's when you know that age is happening yeah but so i did a frantic online search because i used to get them just from a shop on king street and then they stopped stocking them for a while and i was like oh okay and then i looked online and then the company was like we don't make these anymore and so then i did a google search and there were like six notebooks in london in some random shop in london and then i just ordered them (laughs) I spent so much money, but ordering, I ordered the, like the last six notebooks in the world (laughs) to my house and I'm on the second last one now. I know Um, it's going to, it's going to be all over. I'm just going to have to stop making art after this when my notebooks run out. I won't have any more thoughts. Um, But anyway, so I write in that, but I oscillate between writing, like using it um very sporadically just to write a random thought down mm-hmm. that never makes sense <laughs> when i look back at it afterwards or um to being w- like recently much more narrative in my writing and being like this is everything i've done today mm-hmm. this is everything i was thinking and feeling and then i read back over that stuff and i'm like oh my god it's so boring but and so now i've kind of like flipped back again to just writing about ideas mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's just kind of based on what i need at the time i think so there's that kind of just brain dump space that is not where I'm not trying to write anything in particular. I'm just trying to get stuff out. And then um, the stuff I've been writing late at night recently has been on a computer in a kind of essay form stuff, um, which I think the, the, the physical writing, even though it, it's just there in and of itself has actually been a backdrop for helping me then tease out all of these kind of bigger thoughts mm. that I think I wouldn't have been able to weave all together if I hadn't done the original brain dump. So yeah, that's my process at the moment. Does it do different things to you writing with the, like making shapes on a page? Or yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. 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 
you're stuck you're stuck more in um yourself when you're writing on the page mm. because you you have to go you have to go at your own speed your writing speed yeah yeah but whereas no, you're when you're typing speed. you can i feel like i can leave myself more when i'm typing yes yeah and then for writing music mm-hmm. is that does that happen with an instrument or does that, does that happen on a computer or um, do you hum things and then into your voice memo? And I have send them to your hundreds of voice memos, really? not so much to send to my band, but um, a few actually were for my band, but no, I have um, all of these. You want to play one? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh God, I don't know which one to play though. Um, You've already chosen it in the future. Oh, yeah, true. Oh, God, trippy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so there's... So I'm writing an opera, so there's all of these um, uh, recordings of the residency that I did recently, mm-hmm. but that's not so much me just playing. Let me see. I did, I did make a good one the other day. What's this one? Let me just... This is piano. Okay, not this one. I've been going through this real phase of listening to like Greek chanting, <laughs> Greek religious chanting. And um having a jam you know mm. <laughs> on this piano no this was at um this was oh wait this is a nice bit anyway um no this was so at next wave we uh run the Brunswick Mechanics Institute and Mm. there's a piano there and so sometimes if it's not if no one's booked the room out after hours Mm. I'll just go (laughs) and play the piano um yeah (laughs) so that's where I did that there's really nice acoustics in Mm. that room um so yeah I've been playing all these weird things in fourths I've also been playing what's this one Oh, yeah, God. Okay, no, I can't. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, that kind of stuff. Okay. And so in terms of my writing practice, yeah. um, there's no method. Okay. Sometimes I'll just sit at the piano and play stuff. And if I think it's good, I'll record it. And then later I'll... Bless you. Are you allergic to cats or something? Um, Later, I'll uh, I'll write it. I've got a music notation program on my computer, so I can write it in. Um, But actually, at the moment, I'm there's a big barrier between what I want to write and what I know how to do. Um, And so I'm just in a bit of a 
learning and research phase and like asking friends to help mentor me and um teach me what do you how do you approach them just like hey you know how to do this thing that i want to do pretty much (laughs) how do i do this Yeah. yeah yeah and how do you know if it's good enough to start recording well, as we just learned, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. okay. For yeah. me, I just feel like I have finally entered the room. There's, um, like I can feel it when I'm in a, because like a dance studio is effectively just an empty room and there's something shifts when I'm in an empty room or when I have somehow arrived at it space for dancing um usually if it's you know some good music on Mm. (laughs) Um, and if like the pain has become enjoyable the pain of like Mm -hmm. going on your knees or something but when it's yeah my mate's got this great story about like being kids and then his dad getting home from work and then being excited to see him and his dad being like let me get in the door (laughs) this is like he's obviously already walked through the door he hasn't arrived Actually, it reminds me of another thing I've been thinking a lot about, which is related to practice. Oh. So we still t- we can talk about we're talking about the doing, but um, hey Zach, um, it's about we're being visited by a dog, <laughs> um, a very polite dog. Um, yes, yeah, this idea of virtuosity, and kind of feeling like I'm at a point in my practice where. I just want to be really fucking good at what I do. Mm. You know, like I've got the conceptual framework. I've kind of, I mean, I'm still, it's not <laughs> no, no, you've got finished, it. You've got, you have <laughs> but I feel like I concept. know what I want to do. Mm. You know, I'm, I've got a whole, but in fact, too many ideas. And, um, now I'm at a point of wanting to execute, execute them in a way that is almost impossibly good. You know, like it's, that's kind of the definition of virtuosity, like an almost impossibly good mm. ability to mm. do something. And so in terms of process now, I think the, the next thing to do is just to um, um, part of it is just to repeat, like to do to do stuff over and over and over again to the point where you're pushing the limit of how well you can do that thing. Mm. Um, There's a a saying about not rehearsing until you get it right, but rehearsing until you can't get it wrong. Yeah. Yes. Well, exactly. I think it's a martial arts thing. The idea that you overwrite your um, instinctual response with this new updated version. Cool. Mm. Yeah. So I've been, yeah, thinking a lot about that kind of in terms of process and practice. And the problem with that is that you need heaps of time to get there. (laughs) so um carving it out is the first step but um yeah that's kind of where i'm at taking everything that i've already done and being like and trying to identify what that is and then trying to make it better with new stuff Mm. i guess you got your 30s right Uh, at least (laughs) hopefully (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what what's your biggest hope for all of that effort and time? 
Um, I think part of it is part of it is not part of it is that there's no choice you know like it's just how and I know that artists say that all the time and it's kind of cliche and lame but like I actually don't know how else to operate like there's just like that's just the way it goes (laughs) Mm. so in terms of what what I hope it will achieve it's just kind of like not even part of the question for me it's just happening because it has to happen uh but having said that um it's uh I yeah (laughs) I'm gonna say for me it's about love which is also the most cliche thing I could possibly say but it's also true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's about... Yeah, like, it's about expressing ways of being in the world that make sense to me and that make sense to other people that I know and talk to and love and having a space to express that in a world that feels like it doesn't understand what that means or allow you to actually live that in real in the real world yeah it's kind of like creating space in art Mm -hmm. to make those feelings and thoughts and experiences valid Mm -hmm. and hoping that other people will also um empathize or understand or it's like a way for other people to engage in those thoughts and feelings so that they can also then take them and make their own experiences or kind of enter into that world um, to make it even more real yeah I get reminded about that when I hang out with people who live different lives to me and they they just see things that I don't see Mm. that I'm completely Mm. like they see that somebody has um challenge me somehow or they see that there's a fight about to break out and I was not aware Mm. and because I was not aware I couldn't engage and because I couldn't engage it didn't happen because you're not feeling like you have to maintain your power or something yeah um oh was I just thinking oh yeah that kind of makes me think, reminds me of one other point that we talked about earlier about art being uh, for everyone. And I think art generally is for everyone, but not all art is for all people. And like me personally, um, I don't always feel like, you know, often I just feel like I'm making work for myself and for my friends. And if that resonates in a broader setting, that's great. That's ab- absolutely ideal. But I think we often try and put an extra pressure on ourselves to speak to people who don't want to listen. And that, why should they listen if that's not their ex- the experience of the world that they... I mean, they should listen and everyone should listen to everyone, but 
there's an unfair pressure I think on ourselves mm-hmm. often to feel like we have to be the ones to make that listening happen mm-hmm. um, and I find that making when I'm actually making the work it's not constructive to think about that it's more constructive to just think about who I who I really am trying to connect with which is my friends mm-hmm. and to let that guide it first um yeah